Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. Take your Bibles this morning and let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 together. Ephesians chapter 4, we have already looked at this verse, um, or these, these several verses over the last couple of weeks, but I want to go back here today and focus on one in particular. If you have not been with us, let me catch you up, because you're, you're kind of coming in midstream here. So we have been looking at a series that we are calling, Why Church? Why go to church? Why be a part of a local church? Um, is that an outdated thing, or is that a thing that's still relevant when you look at Scripture? And so we've just been making the argument. There's so many people that don't go to church. Why, why church? Why is it important? And we started by first acknowledging that the church is not a building, and the church is not an organization. The church is the assembly of God's people. The people are the church. It's the assembly of God's people who are committed to Him and are committed to each other. That's the church, right? And so if you find a group of people who assemble... If they're not committed to God, that's not the church. If they're not committed to each other, it's not the church. An assembly of God's people who are committed to him and to each other. And then we begin to answer the question, why church, right? So every answer, there's more than one answer because it's in relation to different things, the answer changes. So in relation to God, we come to church to exalt the Lord. We lift him up. We praise him. We gather for corporate worship. He's the focus of what we sing. He's the focus of our thoughts. He's the focus of the message. And the whole idea is that he be lifted up and exalted, that we praise him because he's worthy of that, first of all. But that helps with the second part of that. Why do we come to church? Well, in relation to ourselves, it's to examine ourselves. We see God's holiness, and then we see our unholiness. We see his righteousness and our unrighteousness. And it causes us to to think about ourselves. It's this tool to allow God to help conform us to the image of his son. So um, we talked about those three things. The, when we think about the third thing in relation to each other, in relation to other Christians, we're here to edify the body, to nourish each other and to help each other grow. And that was what we talked about last time we were together. Today we want to look at a fourth reason. And this is in relation to scripture. In relation to scripture, why do we come to church? Well, we come to church today to expose false doctrine. You say, that sounds, kind of, uh, that sounds kind of theological and deep. What does that mean, expose false doctrine? When I say doctrine, I'm just talking about beliefs, things that are taught. Think about what you believe, your beliefs. And we want to think about this today because the Holy Spirit can teach us from Scripture. You don't need a priest to interpret. You don't need a preacher to interpret for you what the Scriptures say, Right? But the truth is, is that we have been called, this design of God's is that we function in a community of believers. And because of that, if we're just left to our own devices, we can get way out there in the left field somewhere with things that we believe about Scripture. Some of you may have known some people who are out there in left field about what they believe about Scripture. And typically that comes because they're playing this Lone Ranger role and they're not a part of this community. So... To get us into this, I want to show you a picture. The picture I want to show you today is a good representation or, or, or a good illustration of what, what, where we need to start when it comes to this idea of exposing false doctrine. You got it for us, Mark? So 
I don't know if anybody's ever done this little trick or not, right? But, you know, you can see this. You've made, I'm doing it with a spoon here, but maybe you've done it with a straw or something like that in a glass of water. And I want to draw your attention to the, to the water line. I want to draw your attention to right where the water line is, where the spoon sits. Do you see how the spoon at that point looks bent or broken? It doesn't look like it connects. You see that? What's sticking out of the water doesn't seem to connect to that underneath. This, if you're in, uh, you know, elementary school science, this is refraction. The reason that it looks like this is refraction. Here's the way refraction works. Waves, sound waves, light waves, whatever, light is going to move differently through water than it does through air. In fact, those light waves move slower through water than they do through air. And so when we're looking at that spoon through the water, it distorts the image and it causes it to look just a little bit off because those light waves are entering our eye, causing us to see that image at a different frequency than what's passing through the air. So for our illustration, imagine it this way. Everything, that part of the handle that's sticking out of the water, that's reality, right? What's happening below the surface is not reality, it's a perceived reality, and they're not the same, right? They're not the same. So if you think about this for us in relation to what we're... Every one of us, it's really important to note that every person alive, when they are looking at Scripture, this is me as the preacher, this is you. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you look at Scripture this way. If you were saved last week and you know virtually nothing about the Bible, we all see Scripture this way. There's reality, there's what the scriptures say, and there's what the scriptures mean, and then there's this perception of what the scriptures mean. You see, every one of us reads scripture and interprets scripture with sinful eyes, every one of us. Our tendency, our proclivity is this natural bent towards sin. That's just the way it is. We have a sinful nature. And even if you are a Christian, even if you have Christ and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, the Bible describes, especially in Romans 7 and 8, this struggle, right? Romans 7 in particular, about this struggle that happens within us where our flesh desires one thing and the Spirit of God desires another. So while the Holy Spirit can show us from Scripture what Scripture means, we're all looking at it with eyes that are distorted. It's a perception of reality that's not necessarily reality. My point is, is that today, if you think I'm standing here and I'm saying that false doctrine comes from out there somewhere and everything that happens in this room is bound to be sacred and sure, mm. we're all susceptible to reading what we want into Scripture. And when we do that, the reason that people get out there in left field is because they're reading, they're seeing something that they want to see in Scripture that may not be there. And God has called us to live together in a community of believers because, frankly, we need somebody to check us on our crazy. We need somebody to come along and say, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I don't know where you got that from, but... And point us right back to the truth of Scripture. See where I'm getting here? So this is the idea that in relation to Scripture, we come together to expose false doctrine, to, to see what's really there as we interpret Scripture. Because if you think about it, 
The person that's lost and doesn't know Christ, the person who's just living a secular lifestyle out there somewhere, the person you work with, your neighbor, whoever, they, don't, they do not have the Holy Spirit living within them, so there's no, there's no guide or discernment or regulation of the Spirit within them. Equally so, they do not ha- they're not looking at life with a biblical worldview. They're looking through distorted lenses all their own. It's a whole other ballgame of distortion because they're not seeing the reality of God on high, them in relation to that, his word for us. And so, as believers in Christ Jesus, we should be, we should be guided by the Holy Spirit and be listening to his voice. And, and when it comes to scripture, instead of putting our own thoughts and our own opinions over it and seeing it through that filter, we should be asking the Holy Spirit to confirm for us what his word is saying and to show us where we have wrong beliefs, where we hold false doctrine ourselves. So Ephesians 4, we're going to read a lot of verses just for context. We're going to read 11 through 16. But as I get down through here, if you're reading with me, verse 14 is where we're going to focus. Okay, Let's read it all so we get a context of this. And then we'll come back and hit 14 in detail. It's a good picture of the church that we've looked at already. Paul writes to them and says, And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Go back to verse 14. Did you see it? So that we may no longer be children. The whole point of this passage seems to be an idea of maturity and growth and getting to a place of maturity in Christ where we're able to not be be waffle on everything, right? But to be settled, to be secure, so that we're no longer children. We're not tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, everything we heard taught, those, some of that doctrine comes by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so as, as Paul writes this to the Ephesians, he's trying to combat that a little bit, encouraging them to grow, you remember, to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, right? So that, we, so that we're able to build each other up in love. So here's what I want to do today. I just want to talk a little bit about how important it is for us to have beliefs that are not false, that are accurate and true to Scripture, and how the church helps with that. How does the church help us reach this place that Paul's talking about where we are in a settled spot, where we know what we believe, and we know why we believe it, and we're not drug about by everybody who just opens the Bible and says that they're preaching from it, we're not drug about by that, but we're solid and we're secure in what, in what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us from Scripture. Let me give you three ways the church helps us with this, why we need to be a part of a community of believers. The first reason is the church helps us shape our beliefs. Initially, 
right off the bat, we'll say that the church helps shape our beliefs. The, the passage says that it points out or uses this word children. Now, when it says so that we may no longer be children, I believe that what he's referring to here is not just children. Like if you think about children, I think the church is important for children. We can go into that in a little bit. About that, I think that church lays a groundwork. If, if you're, my parents took me to Sunday school and I, I, was, I sat in church and I, I listened as, as, and I learned the Bible. I mean, from a very young age, I could clean out the Bible category on Jeopardy. Like I knew the Bible, right? Because they had taken me to church, right? So I knew, and I think that lays a foundation for someone. And I think it's a good foundation. But when he says in this passage that you will no longer be children... What he's speaking about is not just children, but even adults that are immature in their faith. He's speaking about children as a characteristic. Like, think for just a minute about how children are, right? Some things that I think we could apply both ways is that children are kind of um, unstable. Children are helpless. Children are restless. Right? You seen that in kids? Children are unstable. They can laugh, cry, laugh, and there seems to be no rhyme or reason as to why in between, right? They can be on this roller coaster of emotion, and you see it, right? You see it very clearly in them. They, you know what they're feeling, and they tell you about it, and they're unstable in that way. The same way that you talk about this shifting, going to and fro with every wind of doctrine, you've probably seen a child go from emotionally high to low to high, all in the span of five minutes, right? It's, it's instability. Children are helpless, right? Like, like uh, children uh, may not know how to fix food for themselves, right? Even if you think about it as an infant, right? Really not able to care for themselves or provide for themselves. But even, even after they're able to walk and talk, and to, they're not able to, to, to provide for themselves or to earn a living or to you know, do the things that you, that you have to do, change the oil in the car or, you know, uh, you know, make the house payment. They don't do those things as children, right? So it's a process which you grow into. They're kind of helpless to provide for themselves. They don't live independent of adults, right? Children are restless. There are children in this room right now. I'm boring them to tears, and they're fidgety. There's some adults in this room that are fidgety, and I'm boring them to tears. Kim said, that's me. But, but kids really do that, right? We're, we're often, you may be bored, but you fake it really well, right? You zone out, you go to sleep, you do whatever you do. Kids, oh, they're fidgeting, right? They're doing something over there. They're, they're whatever because they're, they're, it's like this restlessness in them where they've got to be, you know, they're doing something. They're busy. Those kinds of things describe a person who is immature in their faith. They're unstable. They believe this thing. And they believe this thing, and those things are contradictory to each other. But they listen to David on Sunday, and they listen to this guy over here through the week, and I like to hear both of them preach. And we may be saying completely opposite things, but if we don't know that they're completely opposite things, we say, I believe that, and I believe that. And there's conflict, because there's instability there. Any wave of doctrine, any wind of doctrine is what the passage says, tossed to and fro. Yep, I believe that. Oh, yep, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. See, it's just back and forth, right? Uh, uh, an immaturity in the faith is also kind of with this idea of helplessness. Like when you, what you see in Scripture is you see this idea that people need to come along and be taught, right? 
Paul, who's writing this, was extremely intelligent and knew so much about the Old Testament scriptures. But after his conversion on the road to Damascus and all of that, there was this whole period in this spell where Paul himself was discipled. Even though he probably knew more about the Old Testament than the people who were discipling him, he, he, was, he was learning how to connect those things that he knew in the Old Testament to what he was learning about Christ. It was this process of discipleship where in some ways, as an immature believer, we're kind of helpless in that way, right? Restlessness. This idea of restlessness, of being, needing to be entertained or needing it to be something new, where something that I find with mature believers is they're able to sit around and talk about a thing that is old news because it's, they cherish it. Cherish it. What you find in this passage is his desire for maturity. And the church helps in shaping our beliefs and getting us to a place where we are settled and stable. And as I said, this does not always apply to children. In fact, there was an experience that I had several years ago that really um, was formative for me. Um, I had a friend that I went to high school with. And uh, after we graduated high school, she and her husband were saved and got involved in church. And she knew I was, um, I was here, I was here um, on staff and serving. And, and I remember that she called me, she would call me often because she was a blank page. And when I said blank page, let me tell you, blank page. One day we were on the phone and she asked me some sort of question. And I said, well, you know, it's like with Adam and Eve in the garden. And she said, no, no, who, who are they? And like, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, like, even people that are not in church typically know who Adam and Eve are, right? Nothing. She had nothing. And it was in discussions with her as I talked to her, what I began to see was this person was 20 years old, in her 20s. And what I'm fixing to tell her had better be right. Because what I'm fixing to tell her is going to lay a foundation about what she believes, it was this weight of responsibility that I felt in, a, in, a, in kind of a new and weird way that what I, had, what I was fixing to share with her could lead her down the wrong road very quickly or it could set her on the right road and give her a good foundation. So I better choose my words carefully and I better clearly explain. And I better, you see what I'm saying? Because it's so important, that formative shaping of beliefs, is it not? Like, I believe this for children. As I said a while ago, like, my children are at church, and I think the church does give children a good foundation. Now, some people may argue with me about that and say, well, if you bring your, church to, your children to church, you're deciding for them. You're, you know, you're, um, you're kind of recruiting them at an age when they can't make a decision for themselves. You're kind of roping them into this thing, right? I would say if we want to argue that on a secular level, I believe that church, if we, just for a secular level, I believe that church provides a foundation of some kind of moral system, right? Even if, we just want to, even if we just wanted to argue that. Even if you don't want to talk to me about any other benefits of church, I believe that church does provide a, a moral system for children as, they are, as they're growing. But in addition to that, even beyond that, I think children, this foundation that they see when they come to church and they hear those lessons and they hear and they learn biblical principles, that's important, 
it should start at home. And those principles that they hear and read about in church, they should hear and read about at home. And they should see it in the lives of their parents. Maybe the reason that so many people are blown about by every wind of doctrine is that they hear their, see their parents one way on Sunday and they see their parents another way through the week. Who should it be? Oh, I'll, okay, yeah I'll, be, yeah, I'll be this person. And they're blown, very confused. They should see it at home and it should be reinforced at home. But if you think about what church does, church expands that community. It expands the scope of my application of Scripture. So let me give you, um, I will sometimes call, I'm 40 years old, and I will sometimes call my dad and I will say, I have never been through this before, but you've been through this. Tell me what you think and what you would do. Now, sometimes I don't do it, but I ask, <laughs> what would you do? You've been through this before, and I have not, but you see, I am able to ask him that. I have not had every experience. But you know, my dad hasn't had every experience either. And when I come to church, what happens is, is I surround myself with a community of people who can lean on each other and who can glean from each other, and it helps to shape our beliefs. It helps us to, to get into a mode of how we should feel about a thing when we don't even know how we should feel about a thing or how we should believe about this particular, you know, framework of scripture. It's laying a foundation for us to be able to, to think on the principles of scripture. Very important. It's important for children, right? You guys will remember, some of you may, um, we discussed a book on Sunday night several years ago, and the title of the book was called Why They Stay. It was written by a, a few guys who worked for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And um, the Why They Stay book was really interesting because there were a lot of books out there at the time about why they leave. 18 to 25-year-olds, why they leave the church, and why a person kind of gets into that age range and they walk away from church. And there were a lot of books about why they leave, but the, the question these guys were asking in writing the book is why they stay. Why do they stay? If you have, can find 18 to 25-year-olds that are still involved in church and still faithful, what, character, what commonalities do they have that might help us see what we need to do prior to 18 in order to help maintain faithfulness during those years. And that's what the book examined. It gave us several reasons why they stay, several things people had in common, and one of them, the number one by far reason why people stayed in church was their view of Scripture. What did their church teach? What did their family teach about Scripture? And the best view, remember there were several, but the best, the best view of Scripture was that this is God's Word without error, and it is applicable for everyday life. If your children do not see you applying this word to your life, that's detrimental. It's laying a foundation of belief, right? Another thing that was important there was the idea that they see their parents worship. They see their parents serve in church, right? Which is why I'm so glad that we have children's church. And I think children's church is a great thing. But one of the things that's so important is at some point they need to leave children's church and they need to sit in church with you. They need to see you worshiping. They need to see you serving. They need to see you involved in ministry. Even if they don't understand everything, even if they do fidget and are bored to tears, seeing their parents serve and worship and do is foundational for them to stay. You know another one that's big? 
having a good relationship with their pastor. I love your kids. And when I, if they, you know, some of them love me and some of them don't. I try to avoid some of them because I scare them. But, uh, but the the but even the even when I um, even when I scare your children and beat them up, right? I'm when when we're roughhousing and we're playing and we're doing. I want them to have a good relationship with me because that's a reason why they stay. In fact, I'll tell you this: last Sunday night, two Sunday nights, last Sunday night. They were over here playing in this hallway, and I had to make a quick exit to this bathroom over here, you know. And so I went to the bathroom, and they didn't know that I, when I came out of the bathroom over here, they, they didn't know that anybody was down that hallway, and it was dark, and they were all standing up at this end, and some, somebody's down there, somebody's down there. And I kind of made a noise and scared them. They ran off. Why? Well, they crept back around the corner, and I stuck my hand out on that light switch. You know, I was hidden behind the door, but I stuck my hand out against the light. And when they came around the next time, I flickered those lights, and they got scared, and they ran off again. But, you know, they creep back around there to see what's happening. And I jumped out, and I, ah, you know, hollered. And they all ran away, and I scared some of them. They cried, and it made a big scene and whatever. And <laughs> then I'm standing down there, you know, just seeing how I can scare them next. Here comes Amy around the corner. Y'all, we don't act this way in church. Y'all need to put it. And, uh, <laughs> Amy got on to all of us down there. And look, Amy, I just want these kids in church when they hit 18. I'm just trying to, just trying to have a good relationship with them so they will come back to church, see? These things are foundational. The whole point of that book was there were some things that we lay. It's an important foundation that helps shape beliefs. Listen, I can tell you right now of good Sunday school teachers that I have that laid some foundational beliefs for me. Right now, as I'm sharing with you, I can tell you about things that Jane Golden and Shelly Sweat and Vanessa Sandage shared with me in Sunday school. And sometimes as I'm sharing them with you, what I'm sharing is the foundation that I got there. Even, even stories or illustrations or images that would come to my mind when I would read Scripture, I still think of when I think of, of, their, of their Sunday school class. So the idea that if you're serving here, what we're doing as a church is that we're laying a foundation. If we're a church who doesn't behave as the church, we're teaching our children that that's what the church is. If we're a church that loves each other, if we're a church that reveres Scripture, that honors the Lord, that sings praises to Him, that joyfully serves, we're teaching our children that's what church is. But if we do the opposite... We're teaching them that that's what church is. And the reason that there's so many people today that have walked away from church is potentially they're attending a church that's not really behaving like the church. See what I'm getting at? It's so foundational in shaping what we believe about everything, right? My views about everything should be, should be determined by what I have learned because this framework, the shaping of our beliefs, determines how we will view issues for the rest of our life. If you think about that foundation that we get, we learn that and it's laid out for us, but then we come across beliefs that are not a part of that foundation. So church helps us shape our beliefs and lay a good foundation. It can be good for that, but the church also helps us sort our beliefs. The church will help us sort our beliefs. The truth is, is that we're going to come across lots of beliefs that are going to come into our inbox and we're going to have to say, now where do I stick this? Do I sort this into truth that I hold on to? Or do I sort this into faults that I need to get rid of, right? 
The truth of it is, is that we need help sorting through our beliefs. If you look at the verse that we're looking at here, focus in on sort of the last part of this verse where it describes the kind of beliefs that we need to sort through. By human cunning. That word cunning in the King James is slight, and it's the idea of dice playing. And it, that's what it originally meant was dice playing, but the idea is that you think about uh, dice players cheat. The idea of loaded dice. And so this term came to be used for any kind of like way of cheating, right? When you would use this word in, in Greek, it was the idea that, that conveyed the idea of cheating, of it being false, right? Um, look at the next word there, craftiness. By craftiness in deceitful schemes, it's the, 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 the con, the craft of conning a person, the craft and the subtlety that comes with cheating. And so some of these doctrines... Are, are deceptive, and they're done with, with skill. They deceitfully scheme us. Those schemes, the, the Greek for schemes is um, uh, methodia. It's the idea of our method, where we get method. It's the way by which, it's like you know, this, this process, right? It's a system it's a, um, that, that's able to, to, to get us this mode of deception, right? And so all of those words are thinking about this false doctrine that unsettle us, right? We should be firmly rooted. Pulpit commentary says that the one that's described in this verse, they have not become so firmly rooted in the truth as to be proof against unsettling influences either within or without. So the truth is, is that some of those deceitful schemes and some of those things come from outside. We hear lots of things out there that deceive us, right? But we also need to turn that mirror to our own hearts because sometimes we read scripture and we read we read what we want it to say rather than what it says. That's a problem. It's a problem. How do we sort through those beliefs? For time's sake, I'm not going to read through. But in virtually every New Testament epistle, there are um, there are points where Paul is warning them about false teachers. Mark, could we do just the Acts 20 verse? The Acts 20 verse is interesting, and I want to point it out in particular because Paul is writing this to the Ephesians after he has left them. But when Paul was with them, Acts is telling us about the time that Paul was with them, and this is what he said to the Ephesian elders before he left them. He said, I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise wicked men, or arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Do you see in that verse that what he's, he's telling them, and then now in this passage he's saying, you need to be settled so that those fierce wolves don't draw you away. The verse that we just read here in Acts, notice it contains and talks about deceitful, cunning schemes that will come from outside, bad things that we will hear from other, you know, um, from cultish kind of places or from preachers who aren't solid in God's word or whatever. But we're also going to hear that from within. He says some of those problems are going to come and arise from within, right? This has been a problem throughout church history. Paul writing this to the Ephesians, when you go through and you look at all of those New Testament epistles, there seems to be these warnings about false teachings because they kept popping up. Just to think about some that are kind of famous and well-known, Gnosticism's one. Gnosticism's the idea that 
there's not just salvation, but there's this secret or special knowledge about God, right? It's kind of cultish, occultic in that sort of way, right? That, that, that not only do you learn scripture, but you learn this secret, deep knowledge that's only given by God, right? That's not what scripture talks about, right? Arianism. Arianism has nothing to do with um, Hitler or any of that, but um, Arianism just says that Jesus was not divine. Arianism, that sort of teaching, is just that Jesus was, was I mean, he's human, like me and you, right? But, but, but they see no divinity, that teaching of Arianism taught no, no divinity in Jesus. Right? If you think about things like Pelagianism, Pelagianism says that you and I are good, that we're not sinful by nature. We're good, and it's our good works that can get us to heaven. Now, if you think about it, those are three really popular false teachings from the early church, but from very, you know, in the early church, that heresies that you find in the early church. Think about what all those things are attacking. Think about how they're trying to distort Christ himself, how a person is saved. See what I'm saying? Start, start looking at things that you see. When you're trying to sort through beliefs, think about it this way. You may disagree with a Presbyterian on how you baptize, or you may disagree with a person who goes to the church of God when it comes to speaking in tongues, right? Small potatoes. What do they do with Jesus? What do they do with how a person is saved? Do they say a person is saved by works or do they say that a person is saved by the grace of God? See what I'm saying? Let's get to the big things here and let's start. That's one way that we can easily sort through boxes. I did say to the deacons this morning that kind of on the, um, an experience that I had that helped form this message that, that you weren't privy to was that I heard a message. I heard a message of the, the, from a guy that was, it was not a good message. There were a lot of things in it that were just questionable for me. And as I listened to the message, would he say that a person is saved by grace? Yes. Would, would he say that, would, would we agree on who Jesus is fundamentally? Yes. But there were things in the message that were not, that were not right. And, and on those things that were not right... You know where you have to turn? See, that raised a red flag for me right there. So then I would get my phone out, you know, because, you know, Google helps you find things, you know, that, you know, uh, I'd love to tell you I just know it all, but I just don't. Google helps you find things that you know where, you know, I know that verse, but I don't know where it is, you know. And so Google helped me, find, you know, and I found this verse and I found that verse. And I, I, by the time I was done, I had a little list where if we were to debate that, I could say, because I'm going here, you see. I will give you this one. Mark, will you throw up Acts 17 and 11? This is a verse that, that talks about Paul's experience with the Bereans. And my advice to you in how to sort your beliefs out is be like a Berean. It says that this is what Luke writes about them. Now, these Jews, the ones in Berea, they were more noble than the ones in Thessalonica. You know why? They received the word with all eagerness. They listened to that preaching. But then they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Church can help you sort out your beliefs. You may have heard something somewhere and then you come in on a Sunday and I don't know anything and I open up God's word and I hit on the thing that you heard this week 
that raised a red flag for you, but I'm giving you a verse of scripture that confirms for you that thing that I heard, that was wrong, and we don't need to do that, right? Um, I would like to think that Center Grove is a good church and a solid place for you to come, and despite all my faults and failings, I want to be as I want to stand on the word, okay? So despite all the things that I do wrong, that's one of the things that I want to do right, right, is go here every time, right? But I would say to you this, I would say that even if you attend a bad church, that can help you sort your beliefs. If you ever hear a bad message or you, you hear something that's not doctrinally right or sound or you even attend a church, you know, you even were raised in a church where you might learn that's not the way you do things. I don't want to do it like that. Right? So it's an example of what not to do. And I'll be honest with you. There came a time in my life where I do believe that, that I had a good foundation. But there were also some things that I heard that well-meaning pastors said in the pulpit that was just not biblical. And when I find it in Scripture and I see that it's not, no matter how much I loved that person, no matter what attachment I had to that person, those things are wrong because the Word of God is the standard for us. It's truth. Church helps us. I got to hurry, but I know. Church helps us shape our beliefs, sort our beliefs. But lastly, church can help us settle our beliefs. It can help us settle in a place where we're sure about a thing. When you look at verse 14, the idea of what verse 14 is saying is this person is not solid. They're all over the place. But you need to be settled in a thing, right? As we come together and as we grow and as we learn from Scripture together, one of the things that it's doing is it's growing us as Christians. It's growing us in our knowledge of God's Word. It's helping us to learn that, right? So I said before, we are called to live in a community of believers. We are. I believe that the Holy Spirit can enlighten me, can illuminate God's Word as I study it. I believe that. And I believe that if I was stranded on a deserted island, Robinson Crusoe style, and all I had was the Bible, and there was no church, and there was no preacher, and it was me and my Bible, and I could read that Bible, I believe that the Holy Spirit can show me how to interpret that Bible correctly. I believe that. That's not the normative Christian experience because that's not the normative human experience. You probably don't know anybody that's been stranded on a deserted island, right? But if you think for a minute about, about, um, about the people that you know, the community that you're a part of, that community can help you. It helps settle your beliefs. You see, I said before, there's a thing where I could sit down at my kitchen table and I could study. And, and can the Holy Spirit show and reveal to me from God's Word? Yes, sure can. But you know what? Sometimes I'm not as yielded to the Holy Spirit as I ought to be. Sometimes I'm not in the right spot. Sometimes I'm, bl I'm blind and obstinate to what the Holy Spirit is trying to show me. I read something, and I have a great idea, and I think I'm clever, and I run with that idea. It's not really clever at all because it's not biblical. And we need a community of believers. You see, when people say, I do believe that the Holy Spirit can show us that. 
But I also believe that God has designed us to operate within a community of believers. We've seen it as we've walked through this Why Church series about that we're not to, we are commanded to assemble together, right? This idea of, of baptism in order to show and be a witness to others that we are believers. We are, we are called to live in a community of believers, to be a part of the body of believers. And this helps us. It helps us to be less susceptible to wander off into myths. I want to put one more verse up, Mark. Let's do uh, Acts 18. This is a great example of what I'm talking about. It's tactful. It's good. Listen to what happens in, in Acts 18. There was this Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. He came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man. He was competent in the Scriptures. Sounds like, a, you know, he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. Everything sounds good here. He was fervent in the Spirit. He spoke and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. But he only knew of the baptism of John. So what he knew was correct, but it was limited. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Typically, I'm not going to sit at my dining room table and come, all, come up with an, an Arianism or a Pelagianism or a big doctrinal thing like that, Right? But let's face it, there are some doctrines that you find in Scripture. There's some teaching that you find in Scripture. It's just difficult. But you know what I found is most helpful for me in that? The Holy Spirit shows me verses, and I'm grateful for that. But you know what the Holy Spirit's used a lot? Conversations with people. He's used Monday morning pastor's lunches, you know, those sort of things where there's a, 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 another pastor that becomes a sounding board for this thing that I've seen in Scripture. A debate that happens over a particular topic or a verse. And one presenting one kind of case for interpretation and another. A conversation that a person has. If somebody comes and asks me a question, they come and they're asking their pastor a question about the Bible because they think I know it. And, and, and I don't. And sometimes I have to like say, well, you know, like, let me, and, and it causes me to want to have a better answer the next time somebody comes to me. And so I start diving in to find and see. Those things have been so helpful for me in, in settling my beliefs. And the truth is, if we're not a part of a community of believers, those conversations never happen. I want you to hear me very clearly. I'm not saying at all that you need the church or that you need me to tell you how to feel about Scripture, right? Throughout history is full of stories of, of, of the church trying to dick, trying to to restrict access to God's word in order to be able to, to tell people what it says without them reading it for themselves. But the church is a great tool in helping a person go from no belief to shape, to sort, to settle. It's a great tool for that. See, I look at this topic. The, I see the, the church's role in, in this in shaping beliefs and in settling our beliefs the same way I see the church's role in salvation. Church doesn't save you. Church doesn't save you. Coming to church doesn't save you. 
I have no magic that I can pull out to save you. God alone saves by his grace. But the church is a great tool that the Holy Spirit uses. Over and over again, you'll hear stories of people saying, so-and-so invited me to church. And I went in, and I don't even know what the pastor is preaching about. But I can tell you this. Over and over again, I felt the Holy Spirit letting me know you need Christ. Over and over again. The same way that the church plays a role in salvation as a good tool to lead a person to salvation, the church is also an excellent tool when it comes to forming and shaping and settling our beliefs in something biblical. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to find more resources to help you grow in your walk with Christ, check out our website at rootedandresolved.org.